There's a beautiful story before we wind up our series in Exodus that I wanted to make sure we looked at. So this is that great story of when Moses' face shines. Exodus 34, verse 29, we're also gonna read in a bit how Paul uses this text in 2 Corinthians 3. But for now, Exodus 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. And this beautiful uh, word endures forever. So I couldn't not preach on this little passage in part uh, because maybe we can connect with it in a deeper way. Now that we've gone through this period of time, we had to mask our faces and have our own little veils that separated us uh, from one another. Maybe we could relate a little bit with what's going on here. Second, and more importantly, it conveys a, a wonderful truth that effectively concludes our series. Again, Paul's gonna make use of this in 2 Corinthians, and he indicates it's one of the key Old Testament passages that show how all the prior administrations of that one covenant of grace eagerly anticipates one and only one, the only one that is sufficient to really do what all the leaders and all the tabernacle and all the sacrifices all pointed to, but could never fully accomplish. And that is, it all points to the one we desperately need, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where Exodus moves us, is to Christ. And so what a story, you know. Moses goes up to meet with God and comes down, and the skin of his face is shining. He comes down glorified. And so why does God glorify Moses? And I want us to consider four things, four things. The first point is that he does so to show the origin of the law, to show the origin of the law. And I like what commentator Philip Ryken says. He goes, what's the most obvious thing here? Why is Moses's face shining? Well, the answer is he's been with God. Well, then what does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God is glorious. Moses 
reflects God's glory before the people, and the people before that glory are terrified, such that, as he says, they scamper away like rabbits before the headlights of a car. They can't handle it. It's the effect of God's glory that the people had earlier had when God spoke the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. You remember, they looked at this rumbling mountain with lightning and the voice of God speaking directly to them the Ten Commandments. That's unique in the way Scripture comes to us. And they go, you speak to us, Moses. Don't have God speak to us or we'll die. It's similar to that. And so verse 28 helps us understand what's going on when it says on top of the mountain, Moses stayed 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat bread and he didn't drink water. Through that time, God miraculously sustained him. That man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And now he comes down radiating God's brilliance. But why now? Because after the first copy of the two ten, of the stone tablets, Moses had already stayed on top of the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, but he didn't come down gleaming with glory. So why now on this second copy? I just want to say two, two reasons. Well, first is it was this time that Moses went up the mountain that he dared to say to God, show me your glory. He needed that reassurance. He was a man that was hungering for God after that debacle of the golden calf. And you recall that God hit him in the cleft of the rock, put his hand over him and let Moses see his back, as Riken says, which is really the after effects of God's glory or the contrails of God's glory, like when a jet flies overhead and there's those linear clouds behind a jet. That's kind of all God permitted Moses to see, and yet that tiny aspect of God's glory has this effect on Moses. And yet... Our text doesn't focus on seeing God. Verse 29 says he had been talking with God. You see, he asked God to show him his glory. And God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. And then that set up the preaching of that, what became of that creed, that working definition of God that was repeated throughout the Old Testament of how God commits to work with his people and shepherd his people. What does God's goodness look like? It comes out in the preaching, I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and disciplining to the third and fourth generation, Moses comes down gleaming with God's glory because Moses is full of God's self-revelation of his glory, which is especially his goodness. And so Dane Ortland says it this way, when God himself sets the terms on what glory is, he surprises us into wonder. The bent of his heart is mercy. His glory is his goodness. Moses is full of that, And God permits him to show that in the way his face is beaming 
with the self-revelation of God's goodness to him and the people. Well, second, and even more to the point, Moses is coming down the mountain with this second copy of the Ten Commandments. And remember what he did with the first copy. He comes down the mountain and he sees Israel in utter chaos, defying God, worshiping a golden calf, committing all kinds of immorality. And before the people, he breaks those stone tablets as a symbolic action to declare to them, this is what you've done to the covenant. You've rubbed it under your feet. And he's wondering if there's any hope for us at this point. And yet that's when Moses more than ever steps up as as the advocate, the mediator. We see Christ all over him. He's the man in the gap for the people who intercedes for them, applies God's creed to them, and God forgives them. And now Moses is descending with another copy of the 10 Commandments. And throughout, he stressed something about them. They didn't come from me. God actually wrote them with his finger. And you see, however, that the people had treated them as if they were just man's rules and had selected the ones they liked and discarded the ones they didn't and trodden them underfoot and had molded God after their own image. And so God is now through Moses and the glory he gives to Moses, he's saying, my law is glorious because my law is a reflection of my character Its origin is divine, and you don't trifle with it. You honor it, and you receive it, and you obey it. And when you look at Moses' face, and he's glorious, you know that my law is for your good and for your flourishing, to, to remake you as you were intended to be, as a reflector of my glory. The second reason that Moses has a shining face that God gives that to Moses is to show the authority of the mediator. So first is the origin of the law. Next is the authority of the mediator. So God glorifies Moses to reinforce his authority as God's chosen mediator. Uh, At the great sin of the golden calf, the people totally reject Moses, you recall. They go to Aaron and they go, you know, we don't like... As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. They scorn him and despise him. They're treating him as some upstart, no good, no count scoundrel. They they just kick him to the curb. And so God sends him down the mountain with his face flashing rays of glory in order to tell the people, Moses is my chosen mediator. Honor him and listen to him. Listen to him declare to you my will. And you see, God doesn't just glorify Moses once, but his custom and practice, this text tells us, is that he would keep going to the tent of meeting and he'd speak to God on behalf of the people and he'd speak to God with his face unveiled, face to face with God. And then he'd emerge from the tent shining with God's glory and he'd communicate God's will to the people with his face unveiled. And then when he got through, he'd put a veil over his face until he went back into the tent again. So over and over again, he's doing this. God glorified him over and over as he undertook his mediatorial work on behalf of the people. And God's showing him that he treasures him, showing the people that he treasures him and he treasures the work he's doing for them. 
And this all points to Jesus. God over and over again glorified Jesus in his words and his work. In fact, John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh. He dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. What kind of glory? The glory as of the one and only from the Father. And what does that, what's the character of that glory? It's full of grace and truth. God glorifies his son through his works and his words, but especially, you remember that event on the Mount of Transfiguration when he takes Peter, James, and John with him, his inner circle. He takes them up the mountain and then God gives a vision. In fact, Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus and yet Jesus' face shines like the sun and his clothes become dazzling white. He's radiant. Not just his face, but his whole body. And it's interesting to know that Moses and Elijah don't shine They just are admitted into Jesus's glory. And so what they're saying there is, look, we know we had a role to play, but we've always been pointing to him. It's his glory, it's his glory we're after. And the point of that Mount of Transfiguration experience is the same as that point with Moses. God booms from heaven to Peter, James, and John and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. It all depends upon him. And Jesus doesn't shine with reflected glory. Moses is like the moon shining Jesus' light. Jesus is the sun. He has his own light. Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He is God. He is the God of all glory and he beams the rays of his glory for himself. And so Moses really hints at the person we really need. We don't need a person to redeem us who just reflects God's glory. We need God himself. We need God himself to become one of us. We need God himself to be despised and disdained for us. We need him to take our curse for us, suffer our death, for us, then break the bonds of hell, death, and sin, resurrect in victory for us, ascend to the right hand of God for us. Moses looks to Christ. Well, then we get to the third point, to show the superiority of the new covenant. That's why Moses' face shines. And to do this, I want want to read 2 Corinthians 3. So if you wouldn't mind, turn there. 2 Corinthians 3, 7. where Paul comments on this event and he says these words. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which would bring brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. 
But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just amazing text. So the superiority of the new covenant, where you are today, um, it builds on Jesus as our mediator. Paul is saying, if glory surrounded the giving of the law, how much more glory surrounds the fullness of the gospel? Yet startlingly, he calls this glorious giving of the law a ministration of death. Did you catch that? He's not looking down on the law or mocking the law or disdaining the law. He affirms it came with glory. Elsewhere, he's gonna say it's holy, righteous, and good. But it's also a ministration of death. And why is that? Because the law is powerless to replicate in you what it requires of you. It's powerless to give you what it demands of you. So Paul says elsewhere, it gets even worse that our sin nature sees that beautiful law and instead of esteeming it, our sin nature takes it and intensifies our desires to break it and drives us headlong into its consequences, which is death. Therefore, Moses calls it a ministry of condemnation. But the gospel is radically different. The gospel that was in seed form in Moses' day but comes to fullness in Christ. He calls it a ministry of the spirit and a ministry of righteousness. And what is he getting at? The difference is that now we see Christ, now we see the one the law depended upon in order to be life-giving to us. The redeemer who would accomplish that mediatorial work for us, be the man in the gap for us, that he would come and he would give us a righteousness we couldn't get ourselves. And that he would communicate the spirit to us to give us faith to believe so God could look at us and look at all, all that we are and say, I look at you through my son and you are declared righteous by faith in him. And I'll give you my spirit that you can make progress in becoming more like me. It's a ministry of the spirit, a ministry of righteousness. So the glory of Moses in comparison to Jesus is like a candle to a lamp or the stars in the sky to the sun. The fullness of the gospel far exceeds it in glory. It was temporary provisional pointing toward the reality, which is Jesus, which you know about clearly in a way they didn't. And so this leads us to the whole idea of this veil and Exodus 34 indicates that Moses puts a veil on his face because everybody's afraid of him. They're frightened of him. And so Paul takes that and explains exactly what's going on. It's not just that they're creatures that can't handle God's glory. It's more than that. See, really what's underneath that 
is that Moses' reflected glory exposes to them the terrible guilt and corruption of their sin. Before the glory of God, they can't tolerate it because it exposes to them their pollution and their wickedness and their rebellion. And you know how that is. We're in God's presence. We come very clear that we're sinners. And so in a way, when Moses puts that veil on his face, it assuages that fear, but really, it intensifies it. And why is that? See, Moses' veil is really an enacted parable. He's teaching them something. It's an enacted parable to tell the people that their sin and unbelief and rebellion bar them from beholding the glory of God in a full, open, and ongoing way. Moses conceals God's glory because they're unable and unworthy to gaze upon it. So it's a symbolic action that points to the devastating reality of the inner veil of sin that curtains off or covers or screens or separates our hearts from God's glory in the gospel. The deepest aspect of the fear is our sin and our sin veils us and Moses shows that to them in an open way. But you see, the fullness of the gospel changes all that because Moses comes to him and says, I mean, Paul comes to him and says, I'm speaking to you in a bold way. I'm not covering anything or concealing anything. And the idea of bold is open, uninterrupted, not concealed, not veiled. It's not temporary, it's not occasional. In the gospel, he's saying, we get to gaze fully, openly, permanently on God for our sin has been dealt with. Our consciences are clean. We are unveiled and behold his face face to face, not in a sporadic, temporary, provisional way, but face to face. The superiority of the new covenant, and this leads to the last point, to show the transformation in the soul of the believer. Moses' face shines to show the transformation of the believer. And so you see, by nature, our hearts are veiled. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4 says, the devil's veiling your hearts. I mean, always working to veil your hearts. Verse 16 of chapter three says, you and I can't remove the veil. If we turn to the Lord, it means turning to Jesus as Yahweh. The veil is removed from us, meaning it takes none other than God to do that. The Holy Spirit accompanies the preaching of the gospel to give you a new heart and a new spirit to believe. He takes the veil away and gives you faith and repentance to see Jesus as he's offered in the gospel. And so this starts a whole process of change. Second Corinthians three says it this way. And we all with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. And so what does this verse say about your life right now? What we're about? See the eye of faith, we gaze upon God. We boil it down, that's what we're doing. Because what you behold, you become. What you look at, you grow like. So what are you looking at today? What has your attention today? If your eye is fixed on your money, your bank account, your investments, 
and you know that's where your attention is, inevitably you're gonna be consumed by things like power or security or self-sufficiency. If your eye is fixed on people and you got to, you've got to have the attention of people, you get consumed maybe with popularity or people-pleasing or, or fearing rejection. If your eye is fixed on sexual immorality in some way, in some way you're gonna get consumed with self-centeredness or self-absorption. People just exist for you. But you see, if your eye is fixed on God, you grow to be like God. What you behold, you become. In the gospel, we have unveiled access to God. And we know the frustration over this last year and a half of wearing a mask and we're with each other. We kind of communicate with each other, but we also feel a distance from each other. It's stifled. And sometimes you and I feel like that with God. There's something... There's something between us. I don't feel like I'm really relating and connecting. And sometimes the fallen nature just feeds you that, that shame and that guilt. You just don't believe your sins are washed clean. But the gospel says if you confess your sins, he is faithful. He is just. He's gonna do right by his promises and wash you clean and your conscience clean. In the new covenant, there is no veil You look at God face to face. Unbroken, permanent fellowship with him and God uses that contemplation, yes, to glorify you. Psalm 34, five says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be covered with shame. Charles Hodge, 19th century said, what was a bright cloud overhanging the cherubim? to the light of God's presence filling the soul. As amazing as that cloud was on the mountain, rumbling, flashing lightning, that's nothing compared to God's glory emanating from a changed life. As a person starts showing God's glory, especially, even as God, God's goodness. He's restoring in us the image of God that's marred by sin. He's making us who we were designed to be, reflectors of God's glory. We look at Moses reflecting God's glory. That's what you and I are created to be and what God's about as we gaze upon him. And Moses can teach us something in a very distracted age as he spends 40 days and 40 nights alone with God And as he keeps going back in the tent of meeting to spend time with God, what would happen is, you recall, that that glory would start to fade. It's a lesson for us. It's like the batteries on his flashlight got weaker and weaker. He went back into God's presence to recharge them. And God's telling you something. that in an age that distracts us from deep meditation and contemplation and prayer and being with God, that we desperately need it. As we gaze upon God, he renews his glory in us and cultivates those virtues that reflect him in the world. And it's not dispensable. As hard as it is in our culture, somehow we need to cultivate those disciplines to be in God's presence. Remember, God's glory is especially his goodness. And his goodness 
is especially what he preached to Moses. We don't have to see God physically. We see God in the preaching and hearing and reading of his word. And that's what he uses and that's the emphasis here. A second century theologian, Origen, said this of the Christian church in an antagonistic culture. He said this, everywhere I go, Christ is spoken against by the leaders and what Christ stands for is considered a threat to the government and to other religions. And yet the glory of Jesus Christ is shining in the lives of ordinary men and women all through this empire and numbers are every day being converted because they see the glory of Jesus and the flesh and blood of ordinary men and women. And that's just beautiful. That the way our country changes, our world changes, is just ordinary Christians reflecting God's glory bit by bit, more as they gaze upon his beauty. And one of the most beautiful things about this text is that Moses didn't even know what was happening the first time. Did you notice that? He didn't know he was shining. He didn't know what was going on, but God was doing his work. And sometimes you don't know it, but God is cultivating greater patience, greater trust, greater love, greater understanding, greater concern for people. And others notice it where you might not. And so Moses looks at us in his text and he says, set yourself to prioritize gazing upon the beauty of the Lord and God uses it to communicate his own goodness to you and to change you to reflect his glory and God uses that to therefore change your surrounings in the world. It may be the case more and more with us. Amen, let's stand.